Ephesians 2.19 So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And then across in chapter 3, from verse 14 to 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The reason that we're looking at this passage this evening is because at the start of a new year, it gives us an opportunity to think about prayer. Prayer is a very important part of being a Christian. Many of us here, if we're Christians, will try to pray every day. And as the year goes on, that can become a matter of routine or habit. And in many ways, that's, that's a good thing. But it's also a good thing to stop and to step back and to think every once in a while about how we've been praying, what have been our patterns and our priorities, what has our praying revealed about what we think of God. And a great way of thinking about our own praying is to listen to someone else praying. We learn so much, don't we, from the examples, the models of other people. You may know the story about the officer and the sergeant who were out in no man's land in the First World War. And they were crawling along in the dark when all of a sudden flares went up, a sure sign that one, one side or the other was about to begin shelling. They knew they were in trouble, so they leapt down into a shell hole and the officer says, Sergeant, it's time to start praying. And the other man says, oh, I don't know how. I, I've never learned. Sergeant, you know how much trouble we're in? Pray, and that's an order. But, sir, I, I wouldn't know what to say. We, we only, ever had one prayer at, only ever had one prayer at our school. I'm sure that'll be fine, Sergeant. Just pray that. Well, all right, sir, if you say so. And he puts his hands up for what we are about to receive... <laughs> May the Lord make us truly thankful. We, we learn, don't we, from the models of other people praying, hopefully some better models than that poor sergeant had. Many of us may be able to think of a friend or um, perhaps a parent or a minister, somebody who prayed with us, and we learnt so much from that. Or even better, we have 
the prayers of God's people written down for us in the Bible, in the Psalms, in lots of other places, and also in these letters from the Apostle Paul. Paul was one of the specially appointed spokesmen of the Lord Jesus in the early church. And in his letters, we have his teaching, his instruction, and we also have his prayers, which is what we're going to see in this passage this evening. And it's a bit like listening in on him. He's like an older brother to us, somebody more mature in following Jesus. And we get to listen in on his prayer and so see for ourselves a a healthy pattern of speaking to God. Now, as we look at the passage, there are three things we're going to see from Paul's prayer for the Christians in Ephesus. We're going to see why he prays, why. We'll see what he prays for them, what. And then we'll see who, who is he praying to. And if you're here and you're a praying person, then I hope at the beginning of the year, this will be a helpful chance for you to take stock and to think about your praying. Or if you're here and you're not yet in the habit of praying, or perhaps you're not sure what you think about Christianity, maybe you're not convinced, this is a great passage of the Bible to be looking at, because it lays out very clearly that the main message, the main offer of Christianity, which is to know the love of God through Jesus Christ. So starting off then, let's see why Paul prayed. And the passage says... Paul prays because he sees God's big plan for people moving forward. That's why he prays. Paul prays because he sees God's big plan for people moving forward. If you have a look down at verse 14, you can see he's explaining his rationale. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. That's a sort of shorthand way of saying that he prays. He he bows the knees saying, for this reason, I pray. For what reason? Well, we need to look back, and it's actually it's a tiny bit tricky as we look back, because if you look back all the way to chapter 3, verse 1, you can see that he started the sentence before. So right at the beginning of the chapter, for this reason, I, Paul, and he's just about to launch into his prayer explaining, but then he thinks of something else that he needs to say at that point about his own work as an apostle, and so he kind of veers off, parks that for a bit. But verse 14, he's back on track. He says, now, where was I? Ah, oh, yes, for this reason... I pray. That's why Roger read the end of chapter 2 for us, because it's that that gives us the lead-in and the reason as to why Paul prays. In chapter 2, he's been explaining the amazing love and plan of God, that even though we as human beings have all turned away from him, we don't want to live with him as the ruler over us. We want to go our own way. That even though we've done that, in his great love, he's made it possible for us to be brought back to him. He sent his son into the world to live a perfect human life that could be credited to us. And Jesus also faced on the cross the the, um, punishment and consequences for all of our wrongdoing. It's like a swap. We get his perfect record and laid on him on the cross was all that we do wrong and how that we mistreat each other and mistreat God. So we can come back to him and be forgiven. And not just in a neutral position, you know, like it's quits with him now. No, he brings us into his household. We're adopted to know him and to serve him as his children and to have his Holy Spirit living inside of us. And we're not just brought back to God. We're brought back to one another. That as I'm brought in and as you're brought in, we become brothers and sisters together, fellow servants. 
And almost the best part of it, there's nothing we can do to repay him for this. There's nothing we have to do to pay for it. Jesus paid for it all on the cross. And so now we just have to receive it. It's a free gift of his grace. It's the amazing plan that Paul has been explaining. And it's what the Ephesians have been caught up into as they heard the gospel and put their trust in Jesus. Have a look down, please, at verse 19 in chapter 2. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's the amazing plan that they had been caught up into. And that is what leads Paul to pray for them. You've been included, verse 22, in the spiritual house that God is building for himself as he lives in and with his people. You're part of that. For this reason, I bow the knee. Paul prays because he sees God's big plan for people moving forward. Now, if I'm honest, I tend to pray most and most fervently when there's something urgent that I'm worried about. So it could be something really important, like a sick friend. It could be something a lot more trivial, if I'm really honest, like lost car keys or something that's about to go wrong in a lesson at school. But if it's urgent, I'll pray. Whereas Paul's praying is driven by what is more truly important, not just what's urgent. What he thinks about is the whole plan of God going forward as he brings more and more people into his household. Now, we know from other things that Paul said that he would absolutely pray about those urgent things as well. He says in Philippians, whatever worries you, pray to the Lord about it. But he does also maintain this focus on things that matter even more than a job interview or an exam or whatever it might be. I mean, for the Ephesians, eternity had been changed. Instead of being away from God, they'd been brought near. It's the biggest thing that can happen in a human life. And it's also the big thing that God's doing in the world. The rest of the letter explains that that his plan is to unite whole new people under Jesus as the king. And that's how our world that is so spoiled by hostility and broken relationships will be renewed and replaced by God's one new happy family. And so the first lesson that we can take from Paul's praying for our praying is that we need to be more shaped in that by God's big plan. We need to take the time to praise him for the love and wisdom and kindness that we see in this plan. We need to take time to thank the Lord and marvel that we have been caught up in it. We need the time to ask that his plan would move forward and keep on moving forward around us as people hear the gospel. And it's not easy to find all the time for that, is it? It's a cliche because it's true that the urgent easily becomes the enemy of the important. We get caught up in prayer as in so many other areas of life. We get caught up with what's in front of us. Of course we do. And that's why we need reminders from time to time to check in again with the even bigger things. So it could be as you read a little, little bit of the Bible each day and you try and respond in prayer about what that's been saying about the bigger picture. Or you might have a bookmark in your Bible or a little list with just a few reminders 
maybe a verse or a thought that points you back to the big sweep of what God's doing. Or if, if you use the church prayer diary, I meant to have one to wave, they're available in the porch. A wonderful mixture in there of practical things that are happening each day and also things that point us back up to the big picture of what God is doing. That's the first part of his example that we can learn from. For this reason, I bow the knee, says Paul. He prays because he sees God's big plan for people moving forwards. And moving on, um, what does he pray for, though? What is his request? Well, see, secondly, that Paul prays that God would give the Ephesians strength to realize what they have in Christ. It's a bit of a mouthful. I hope that will become clearer in the next few minutes. Paul prays that God would give the Ephesians strength to realize what they have in Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, there's something a little bit puzzling about the logic that we've just seen from Paul. Because if the Ephesians have been included in God's plan, if they've been brought near, he's lavished his love upon them, then surely they're fine. You know, why does God need to pray for them? Sorry, why does Paul need to pray for them? It would make sense to pray for people who haven't yet heard the gospel or people who haven't yet responded. It would make sense to pray for them. But why pray for these Ephesians when God has already lavished his love upon them? That's what puzzled me until I began to understand what he's actually praying for, for these people. So have a look down, please, verses 14 to 19. Um, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, at first, it seems like he's asking for a few things there. So if you look down, he asks that God would grant them to be strengthened, that Christ would dwell in their hearts, that they would have strength to understand the extent of Christ's love, that they would be filled with the fullness of God. At first, it seems like he's asking for a few things. But actually, it's probably more helpful to see that he's asking for one big thing, one big request that's kind of broken up into parts. It's a little bit like me saying to you, oh, I hope you have a great holiday. I hope the travel's all right, and I hope the food's good. I hope you sleep well, you get good rest. I hope you enjoy the company. In some ways, I'm asking for lots of different things, but it's all part of one big hope, one big request that you have a nice holiday. I hope that's helpful. I think that's what's happening here. In in, in spite of the different elements, Paul is really just praying one big thing for the Ephesians, which is that the Lord would give them strength to realize what they have in Christ. These are people who've been brought into God's family. They have been turned around completely by his love and grace. In the language of chapter 1 that Roger referred to, these are people who have every spiritual blessing. And so Paul asks that they would have the strength to understand all this and to know it in their hearts and to experience it in a way that is real. Um, Some of you may have 
recently had that problem at Christmas time. What do you buy for the person who already has everything? Well, this is what you pray for the person who already has everything in Christ. Paul prays that God would give the Ephesians strength to realize what they have. But what does that actually mean? Let's have a closer look. Well, first, he he prays for power in verse 16, so that Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith. That's what real spiritual power looks like when a person's heart and life are fully occupied by Jesus. Of course, all Christians have the presence of God living in them. Paul's already said that in the letter, the indwelling Holy Spirit. From the moment we put our trust in Jesus, we're made to be part of the temple that God is building so that he can live in. So how can Paul be asking here for something that they've already got? Well, the way I understand the request is that he's asking God to help them to to realize what they have in Christ, both in the sense that they understand it more and enjoy it more, but also in the sense that it becomes more real in their life, more fleshed out in their experience. So that um, classic illustrations of this would be getting married and moving house, um, which are both either um, very happy or profoundly stressful experiences, depending on your, um, your point of view. So on, on the 7th of July, 2012, I'm fairly sure that's the right anniversary date, um, 7th of July, 2012, I got married, and I'm happy to confirm I was fully married um, at that point. I couldn't have been more married, I don't think. Um, and yet there are lots of ways in which my marriage has become more real and more deep in the six and a half odd years since that day. We know each other better. Um, The bonds that in some ways were already absolute from that first day have nonetheless become even stronger. That's a picture of what Paul's asking for for these Ephesians. Or then, in the summer of 2013, we moved into our flat. It became our home. And again, from that point, it really was our home. We were the legal owners. We didn't have anywhere else to sleep. It was our home. It really was. And yet a few years on, it it feels so much more like it's really ours as we've shaped it and filled it. Again, I think that's a helpful picture of what Paul is praying for here. That for them to have Jesus living in them would become more real, both in terms of their experience of it and also the effects as Jesus changes them and makes them more like himself. Some of you sitting here um, have been a Christian for a long time and you, you know what this means. And maybe we can see this in some of you. It was a long time ago, many years, you became a Christian and at that point, the Lord Jesus entered your life and heart. He really did. But oh, the difference those years have made. How much better you know him now. How much more richly he dwells within your life. That's what Paul wants for the Ephesians. That's what he prays for them. And then from the second half of verse 17, if you look down, he he moves on to pray that they would have strength, that, that word again, to comprehend the love of Christ in all of its dimensions. Have a look down. Um, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints 
what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. God loves his people. That's what Paul's been explaining in the letter, as we've seen. God loves his people. And in one sense, it's a really simple truth. I'm fairly sure it's on the syllabus for Little Stars, which is the group for two-year-olds that meets here on a Sunday morning at 9.30. God loves you. God loves his people. It's a simple truth in one sense. But it's one thing to be told that and to kind of know that in your head. And it's another thing to understand over time more and more the full extent of that love and also to know it, to know deep down that it is true. I was reading in the week um, a story that an older man remembered from when he was younger. He'd been very unwell. I think this must have been taking place in the 50s or 60s, and he'd been in hospital for some weeks. And he says that he remembers waking up um, in his bed, and his mum was sitting in a chair next to the bed, and she was um, kind of watching him and crying quietly. And he said to her, why, mum, you do love me, Um, which apparently kind of made her cry. Um, And looking back, he writes, if you had asked me the day before whether or not my parents loved me, I would have answered unhesitatingly that they did. But now, as a result of that experience and reflecting on how my parents were, instead of just um, trotting out the party line, of course my parents love me. At that point, in that moment... And in a fresh way for the rest of his life, he really knew it. Well, that's what Paul prays for the Ephesians. And it's a really powerful thing when that prayer is answered, to understand and to know deep down that you are loved by God. It starts to peel away some of the fears and the insecurities. It can underpin us in even the very hardest of times. And it can... It's what can um, cut through when we feel apathetic and lukewarm towards him. If we can sing with understanding and sing it from the heart. Wide, wide as the ocean, high as the heavens above, deep, deep as the deepest sea is my Saviour's love. I, though so unworthy, still am a child of his care. For his word teaches me that his love reaches me everywhere when we can sing that with understanding and from the heart there's not a lot of situations that remain the same and that's what Paul is praying for the Ephesians and then the final request in verse 19 is that they would be filled with all the fullness of God now to me that just emphasizes the scale of what Paul's asking It's a bit like he's just prayed, if you look back, that they would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's as if he knows he's asking for something that's impossible, that their life and their experience would be filled with everything that God is and everything that he has done. That's what Paul prays. What are we to take from this for our praying? Well, again, I mean, I found it helpful to see what Paul thinks these Christians really need. Because the Ephesians, they were an ordinary church facing many of the ordinary trials that we might face. But instead of praying very um, specifically, practically, 
that they would be strengthened to, to face the suffering or to resist the temptation or to speak for Jesus, instead of addressing those practical things directly, he prays kind of underneath them or behind them that the Ephesians would have a deeper understanding of God's love in Christ. He prays knowing that, that actually that's the fundamental thing. So in our um, home group, I can see a few of us here, shout out to our home group. Um, every so often in the cycle of weeks, we, we have, a, have an evening where we just um, kind of talk and share news about what's been happening in life and um, share how we can be praying for each other. And thinking about the contrast between my praying and Paul's praying, I would feel a bit funny praying for Willie and Helen, who are there, that they would know, that they would really understand that Jesus loves them. You know, I'd feel a bit funny praying, praying like that for them on a Tuesday night. Because don't they already know that? They've been Christians for a while, I'm, I'm sure they do. And also, it kind of sounds really impractical. You know, there may be a lot going on in life, like real situations that we need to be praying about. Isn't that a bit theological, almost a bit cold to be praying that they would understand this truth better? But actually, Paul is modeling for us what Christians really need. It's not a change of circumstances or something new that we need to learn, but a, a deeper, fuller understanding of the heart of love that Jesus has for us. So <clears throat> we've seen why Paul prays and what he prays. Let's finish off by seeing who he thinks he's praying to, who. And what the passage shows us is that Paul prays to the powerful, glorious Father. Paul, um, he prays to the powerful, glorious Father. <clears throat> I see the first little bit of this in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. It's always tricky when the Bible talks about the Lord as Father, because in human terms, not everybody has a good experience of that. The idea of father may not have positive associations um, for many of you. Of you. Um, but hopefully we can still see what Paul is meaning here. That every legitimate and good and true example of fatherhood is patterned on the Lord as father. All the care and the provision and the nurturing is patterned on him. He's a loving father who listens to his children when they pray. And he's also able to act, verse 20. This father is able to act even beyond what his children ask and even beyond what they might have thought was possible. You'll notice again um, that Paul uses the language of power and strength down there in verse, um, in verse 20. It's quite a theme in the letter, actually. And um, it makes people think that, that maybe the Ephesians, when Paul was writing to them, were feeling particularly powerless. A bit like Edinburgh, Ephesus was a big, important city. And a bit like us, the Christians there were just a little group of ordinary people with all the powerful stuff around them. And they were a bit marginal and a bit kind of out of step with the prevailing um, way of things. They would have felt very small and powerless in this big city. And so Paul reminds them again who they pray to. 
who it is that they know now, the glorious, powerful Father. Over the holidays, the kind of newspaper magazine, it's basically a magazine for people who are too lazy to read the newspaper, so it sums it all up. It's called The Week. I'm sure lots of you have seen it. And in, in, in the last one of the year, they did a roundup of lots of things from 2018. And one of the pages was a roundup of opinion polling and market research, that sort of thing, from the year gone by. And apparently, 51% of people in the UK pray. I don't know what you make of that. 51% of people admitted to, to um, um, praying when asked. And in the same research, only 48% of people believe that anybody heard their prayers. Which I think is an interesting pair of numbers to put together, isn't it? Because it means that there's presumably a significant number of people who are praying, even though at some level they, they believe that they're just talking to themselves or talking to the ceiling. Which is it's quite sad, isn't it? Because Paul knows who he's speaking to. The glorious, powerful Father who delights to hear from his children and who acts in response. So if you're not in the habit of praying, or if you've fallen out of that habit, then think about who it is we get to speak to and think about the great potential of his acting in response to what we ask. I think that's what we can learn from the example of Paul as we listen in and eavesdrop on his prayer in this passage. And as we finish, I'm going to read through his requests again, and then we can pray it in for ourselves as we look ahead through 2019. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we um, pray that you would answer these prayers for us, us as individuals and us as a church, that we would come to know um, more and more fully what it means to have been made your people, that we would have a growing clarity and experience of what it is to know the love of Christ. We pray that you would um, help us to see the privilege uh, of praying and to learn from Paul's example here, that we would be um, so overjoyed and caught up with your big plan going forward that that would be our our heart's delight as we speak to you day by day. Well, please be with us in this year. Help us to um, maintain the self um, self control 
the practice of prayer and also the joy of it. And we pray that you would mark us as a church in this way and answer our prayers and act and grow us and pour out your love more and more. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.